people think that I must be really organized and and really consistent, but the really is I'm not, but I've created my business to be. And I think that's a really great lesson in creating your business as a vehicle, as a tool to support you, not changing everything about yourself to, to support a business. Welcome back to Love, Sex and Magic with me, your host, Melissa Wells. And today's guest is, oh, just such a special woman. (laughs) She is, I would say, arguably the number one money mindset expert, mentor, coach. She's someone who I've learned from um, for years, really, around money. She's a dear friend. It is, of course, the lucky bitch herself, Denise Duffield Thomas. Denise Duffield Thomas is the money mentor for the new wave of online female entrepreneurs who want to make money and change the world. She helps women charge premium prices, release the fear of money, and create first class lives. Her books, Lucky Bitch, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, and Chillpreneur. Give a fresh and funny roadmap to living a life of abundance without burnout. And her money bootcamp has helped over 6,000 students from all over the world. So this episode was honestly, guys, this episode is packed. So packed full of juicy money stories and shifts and blocks and ways in which we can start to heal our relationship with money so that we can step into more abundance, um, more freedom in our lives. And oh, you're just going to love this. She's just hilarious as well. So enjoy this episode. Let's do this. So Denise Duffield Thomas, welcome to Love, Sex and Magic. Thank you. I have to say the title threw me a little bit because when I saw the sex part, I was like, I'm tired. I've got three kids. Are we going to have to talk about sex? I'm like, are we talking about money and magic? I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, we kind of talk about everything and anything on this show, um, but you are definitely um, someone who I've looked to for years and years when it comes to money magic and manifestation and probably what people would never guess is just how long we've known each other and how long we've been in each other's space. And actually you were the first teacher that I had around not just money, but manifestation completely. Oh, wow. I had never heard about manifesting. I had never heard about this. um, You know, this was, you came into my life with this money manifestation before I'd watch The Secret, listen to Esther Hicks. Like I learned a lot of the tools that you teach, you know, many, many years ago. So thank you for your work. And I've seen you just be so consistent with it over the years as well, which has been really impressive. Oh, thank you. And, you know, it's funny the um, the consistency thing. I'd love to talk about that today if we can, because yeah, um, people think that I must be really organized and and really consistent but the really is I'm not but I've created my business to be and I think that's a really great lesson in creating your business as a vehicle as a tool to support you not changing everything about yourself to to support a business and um you know even recently I've I've discovered that I've got ADHD and I was like oh wow I've actually layered in all of these things into my life and business without knowing it, that I had it, um, to create this outwardly very consistent, you know, business that's, that seems to be very organized. <laughs> and like, I'm, yeah. I'm not that. Um, but uh, yeah, it just goes to show you, you just have to put that system, the systems in place to support who you are and what you want to do and your lifestyle, yeah. your life cycle. Because since we've probably known each other, you know, I've had three kids. Um, I've, mm-hmm. Um, lived in different places. I've moved around a lot, and but but outwardly, my business has just been showing up week after week, day after day, and it's not as hard as it, as people think it might be to do that. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about that. Well, first of all, I'd love if you could share with everyone listening 
what it is that you are really doing in the world for women around money, who it is that you're helping and how it is that you're helping them. Yeah. So I call myself a money mindset mentor. And like a lot of people in business, I've gone through varying like job titles. You know, I was like, am I a coach? Am I am I a speaker? Am I an author? What do I do? And so I call myself a mentor. So I'm I'm here to help you think about money in a different way, to examine your beliefs and stories that you might have had your whole life and to create um, a new, more empowering story because I truly believe that more money in the hands of women, um, of uh, of people in the LGBT community, you know, that's what's going to change the world. It's not continuing the status quo of these big corporations run by men to have money. It's really putting it in the hands of people who who really do care about the planet and who care about our communities and care about each other. Um, and I just think we live in the best time to do that where the technology supports us having businesses based on our skills and talents no matter where we are in the world and whatever our life circumstances, it can support us to to make our own money, but we get in our own way around it. So I don't teach people how to market their businesses, how to set up their businesses, but I help you get out of your own way when it comes to receiving money for what you do. Mm. Mm. Love that. And I think it's really good the way that you are, the way that you're doing that is in a very feminine way. It's very much about the energetics and the spiritual relationship that we have with money and how we are um you know we face these blocks as you call them these money blocks um and you're really helping people to overcome these blocks uh, you know from what i understand it's less about um here is the exact blueprint of how you can make money like the strategy and it's more about like the energetics of how you can allow more in receive more in any line of work Absolutely. Because we all want to do business in a different way. And I think that's what I personally struggled with when I started my businesses in in my early 20s, because I would buy a course, follow a mentor, try and do it the way she was doing it. And that can be really hard. You know, I, I feel like I'm someone who's a good student. And so I would really diligently try and do what they told me to do, but not honoring who I was as a person, my real inner strengths, my values, my desires. And it took me a long time to to be okay with the fact that, you know, I have quite low energy. Like that's what my books are about, right? Is like find the hacks because <laughs> because you, know, you <laughs> don't want to hustle. And um yeah. and then when I had kids as well, I was like, oh my God, how can I follow this blueprint from this you know, very type A childless woman when I suddenly have kids, you know, (laughs) and even myself, I think of my early days as a coach, like when some of my clients had kids, I didn't get it either. And so, and now I see people in my community who, you know, they've got a chronic illness. They can't do business like them, their type A hustle culture mentor. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I think we live in this world where you can really pick and choose what works for you, but you still have to do that inner work. And I still have to do that inner work all the time. Just yesterday, sure. I had a session with, you know, one of my support team. Um, and we were talking like, really, she's a, she's a naturopath. We talk about what vitamins I need and things like that, but she also does EFT. And so we always talk about limiting beliefs when I go see her, because it's not just about taking the vitamins. And so she was like, what do you want to work on this week? And I said, well, I'm trying to write my next book. And I keep on coming across this belief that I'm not a real writer. And so we had to do, and I will continue to have to do sessions on that because I was saying, yeah, I've got, yeah, I do have some books published, but I'm not a real writer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Yeah, you are. <laughs> like no amount of money is just going to cure all of your mindset stuff you know you it's just an ongoing process because there's going to be new stuff that comes up there's going to be old stuff that comes up and that's what I'm Mm -hmm. more interested in because you know when it comes to writing a book that you just sit and write a freaking book right and there's only a couple of ways you can do it and I I think it's the same in business if you want to learn how to do anything 
there's a free course. There's, you can Google it. You can buy a course and just learn how to do it. But without all the grem- dealing with the gremlins, you're always going to be fighting against yourself. And and for me, that fundamental thing of well, I'm not a real writer. That's going to that's going to be hard every time I sit down to just write the book. Um, so yeah, the mindset yeah. stuff is the only stuff I think that we have to constantly work on. Everything else you can Google or buy or. <laughs> follow a checklist. That's such a good point. So what would you say are like the top three like money blocks that are ingrained in most women's minds? What do you see the most? So these cover like 80% of the stuff that I see and then everyone has nuances within within those. Okay. So the first mm-hmm. one is you have to work really hard to make money. Second one is you can um, make money or help people but not both and there's so many nuances within that. And then the third one is more money, more problems, a vague sense that, uh, you know, there's a, everyone's got their own personal fears about what that would be. You have to uncover those. So let's talk about these one by one, right? Work hard to make money, just so deeply ingrained in our lives, in our culture, um, in, in most of our upbringings. And so I'm, I'm in my forties. I grew up in a world where internet and phones just weren't really a thing until I was at university. And so I grew up in this world where to run a business meant, um, you know, being an entrepreneur was kind of reserved to people who had a lot of capital, who were wealthy um, already. And it just wasn't an easeful kind of thing to just be an entrepreneur because you had to make stuff most of the time. Um, I think kids growing up now, of course, they're growing up in a digital world where you can make money opening toys on YouTube. You know, it's, it's, it's a completely different thing. But for those of us who grew up in, a, in an analog world, we sometimes struggle bridging that gap because it doesn't quite compute. Take that aside, generation aside, it still doesn't quite Sometimes we think that everyone knows this world, this entrepreneurial world, but the truth is that most people don't. Most people go to work and they exchange, you know, an hour of their time for a certain amount of dollars or they make a widget, they get paid for that widget. And so the idea that you can make money in a, in a way that's really easy and easeful and leveraged and not aligned to one hour equals that amount of money, it just doesn't quite compute. You know, when you think of mm. us as humans, our brains are just not wired to think in that way. We're think, we're, it's like this and that. Um, yes. And so you've got to kind of be compassionate about that, that really deep down it's just you just don't believe it, it can or should be easy. And then it's just all around us in movies, TV, culture, your parents, what your parents said to you about money. And, um, and so there's a lot of unlearning that it's allowed to be fun and easy and you know, what I said before about we live in this amazing time is that my nan had a great imagination. My grandma, she was super creative. She could do incredible things, but she didn't live in a time where she could transmute that into money. And you talk about magic. What is the internet if not magic? Like it's, (laughs) I don't understand how it works. It's magic as far as I'm concerned. The fact that you and I are talking together. It's magic, right? And so I totally. live in this world, you and I live in this world where we can use what's in our imagination and transmute <laughs> that into money to be able, you know, and to be able to help and yeah. serve people. Um, but there's going to be some conflicting feelings around that that is ours, that it's our parents, it's our generations. It's the fact that we see poverty still in the world and it feels unfair and it feels guilt-inducing because it's not fair. It's absolutely not fair. And so already we've just touched on a couple of things, but there's so much behind that that we are stuck in this work hard for money um, environment. And, you know, you and I grew up in different countries, um, but we also live in a very Americanized kind of society where hustle culture is very American and it permeates throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in England, it's not polite to talk about money. In Australia, you have to be very like, um, it's that laid back culture because it's like, well, you can't be seen mm-hmm. to want it. 
you know, you have to right. be very like cash about it. <laughs> so yeah, I know, would say in England, it's kind of like not, it's almost like for me, when I grew up, like my, what I saw around money was that it wasn't safe to, to want it, but also we like me, not particularly, not really like my family as such, but just what I saw growing up was people that had money were judged, criticized, shamed, not liked. And it was almost like, well, why would I want to be someone that has all this money if I'm going to not be liked? Totally. Totally. So when you look at all of that stuff, you know, it, there's no wonder that when someone sits down to work at her computer, goes to hit publish on a blog post, it's not just the fear of, oh my God, what if I get a hater? That is just one tiny thing that's like all the other stuff, right? Of like going against the grain of my culture, my society, my family. Um, people won't like me. You know, there's there's so much there. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the second one because I think this is where the nuance starts to come for a lot of women is I can help people or make money, but I, it's you can't do both. And so, mm. yeah, I, yeah, like I see people, they're working so hard and they are helping, 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 but there's never a call to action of like, and you can buy from me and I can help you with this. It's just because, <laughs> and let's talk about it from a gendered point of view, right? There are studies that show that girls are, they're just taught to share, to encourage, to share and and to help people, are praised for being helpful. And so that's just one aspect of it. And then you think of some training and I know that you have um, trained in different modalities and, you know, you think of, Um, some of the trainings ingrained in it of, well, don't think you're going to make money out of this. Or, you know, I hope you're in this for the right reasons, you know, just to help people. Um, And this, there are nuances within that. If you're in the health world, if you are a Mm. doula, if you're in the birthing world, if you are um, in the spiritual world and you're helping people with your spiritual gifts, it's like, oh, we're not allowed to besmirch this with money. (laughs) Great word. (laughs) Yes. It has to be pure and giving and let's just pretend the money side isn't even here. And this is where, Mm. um, like I'm so aware of this as a consumer on, as a customer. And so I'll be like, so do you want my credit card details? Like I'm like, cause I know that spiritual people will go, will just go, Oh, that's okay. Let's not, Let's not sully this with money. Yes. Um, you know, I have Because friends. it's like this belief that money is money is evil, money is wrong, money is, you know, we're feeding into like capitalism and all of this stuff. But it's also like that can be our relationship with it, or we can change our relationship with it. And I've worked with clients as well who come to me and they're just the most incredible healers, the incredible teachers of so much knowledge and wisdom and embodied um just gifts to share with the world. And I look at their prices and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're literally, you may as well be giving this away. Like there's so much value in what you, in what you're doing, but it's this whole thing of like, it's not, it's not the spiritual thing to be able to earn more from this gift that's helping someone change their life. Well, because it feels like it has to be two separate lanes. Here's where I help people. And here's where I make money. And where we're going to change the world is when we just like, I can see it intertwined, like beautiful, you know, DNA strands, because when we make money doing what we love, helping people, a beautiful exchange, like an equal exchange, you know, we can, we can transmute that money into even greater things as well of, um, you know, serving our communities and it's okay to buy stuff that you like as well. Like it's okay, just yes, to buy stuff. But like I can just see it. It's like it doesn't have to be like this. It can just be ah oh, beautiful and like let's create magic with this money and let's change the planet and let's fund the things that we want to see in the world. And um, there's a just a really great lesson in that of how we can use money as a tool for good. Um, just like we have used, you know, women and food eons have used what we have to create good in the world you know we've, we're very 
thrifty or we're very enterprising and resourceful, but it's like money is a resource too that we can use to create some amazing things. So there's a lot of unlearning around that. It could be unlearning from your teachers, your mentors, your family, your lineage of, of the work that you were in where it's like, no, it's totally okay. I serve, I deserve because it's a circle. Um, and mm-hmm. I've done this myself, Mel, I'm sure you have. When I've undercharged for something, the imbalance feels horrible. Yeah. It feels horrible. It comes from our life force. It has to, the balance has to come from somewhere. And when you're not receiving money in equal exchange for the value you're putting out, it creates this, this horrible blockage. And I, um, for a long time, I undercharged for speaking you know, because I just was like, oh, it's my friend's conference. Like it's my friend's mastermind. I'll just go just because I love her. But it made me feel sick at the end. I would I would um, leave and instead of feeling joyful, like, oh, wow, I, I was like, I would feel dis- disgusting in myself because I was, you know, I was making up for that deficit. My life force energy yeah. was making up for that deficit. And so that's why when you get to a you know, when you work with someone who just has a great, easy money mindset and they're just like, here's what I charge. And then you, it's just like, it feels balanced. It feels yes. balanced. No yeah. one feels like they owe each other. It's not awkward. It's just like, ah, oh. and, and I'm not talking about bartering here because bartering can create a lot of imbalance and bartering can, um, can stagnate the flow of money. And I actually, a friend of mine recently, she was just like, why isn't it working for me? I'm so frustrated because I know I've got talent. And um, and I dug in a little further. She's got all these little bartering arrangements everywhere. And I'm like, babe, you are not yeah. energetically open for business. You are open yeah. for bartering arrangements, which is fine when we lived in villages. Um, you know, <laughs> that's fine. We had to. That was, that was the only ecosystem yeah. we have. But we live in a world where our ecosystem is now the entire planet. And we can help people everywhere and we don't have to survive on eggs and, you know, a bartering of eggs to survive. And um, and so I said to her, you get rid of those bartering arrangements, your income will grow because you will be open mm-hmm. for business. Um, so, yeah, that's the yeah. whole thing. I can help people or make money. We've got to let them marry and mm. marinate together. It's like it's like a way of unconsciously keeping ourselves small as well. I think the bartering thing, because I, I did that at the start of my business and I would be like, you know, I was coaching women around food and, you know, I would I remember having conversations with someone and she was like, if you coach me around food, I will run your Facebook ads or if you do this, then we'll, we'll do a switch. And it stopped me from being able to really grow my business and that exact energy thing that you said exactly what happened I just felt like oh didn't want to show up for the calls didn't feel good energetically didn't feel like I was being really honored for my time and and I'm sure she probably felt the same um but I think one of the big shifts for me around this was actually giving myself permission to earn more than my family and friends because I, even though I started my business, was doing something very different than everyone else around me. It's like, I still didn't feel like I was able to earn more because I felt like, again, like I'm going to be pushed out. I'm going to be excluded. I'm not going to be loved anymore. People are going to, this is, this was a big one for me. People are going to think that I think I'm too good for them now. That was a huge one for me. And as soon as I kind of gave myself permission to step into more money, more abundance, more wealth, and it was safe for me to do so, you know, then it's like, okay, let's go. Yes, absolutely. It's the not being liked thing I think is um, is a big one for so many people. Or, you know, I see people sometimes in our industry, they're undercharging because they're comparing their, you know, hourly rate to maybe people in, in their life, not not the value that they're giving to that particular target customer, um, you know, and I, I remember my first year um, in business, my very first paid speaking gig, it was $500 um, and it was it was hilarious. It was for a government away day for like a transport, <laughs> group of transport <laughs> workers and it was like 80% <laughs> men and I was like talking about manifesting. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I but, can't even imagine that. Oh, my God, it was so cute. 
and it was kind of when I was kind of half in corporate, half out. So I was, I was like still wearing blue, but I was like wearing high heels and like a pencil skirt and stuff. It was hilarious. But, and they paid me $500, which in the grand scheme of, you know, public speaking is, is not a lot of money. And, you know, of course I didn't put into account like the work I had to put into the slides, which I hate and the presentation. And it was 45 minutes drive each way, no, an hour and a half drive each way, actually. And all of these things, and I got my hair done and my nails done. And so actually, I didn't make very much money at all by the time I paid for parking and my petrol and all of those things. But I I was so excited and proud. And I said to my mom, like, oh, I'm, you know, making $500 for this speech. And she was like, oh, for 45 minutes work. Um, and then she was like, that's my weekly salary at the nursing home. And I felt like shit like and she didn't mean it in like you're such a bitch she was just like that's so unfair that some like that we live in this world where my work is so underpaid and undervalued and you can just talk on stage for 45 minutes you know like about just random stuff like about manifesting and I just thought oh my god I'm I'm a disgusting horrible person like I can't believe that's so unfair and it's so gross that I can do this. And I I just had to do so much work around that. that and still now today, like now I financially support my mum so I don't feel guilty about earning heaps of money. But it's like, you know, you can't compare what you're putting out in the world to what, you know, a minimum wage worker in your family is earning because you earning that doesn't take that away from that person. And you know what, I pay... I gle- gladly pay so much in tax because I know I'm I'm happy for that to support other people. And I mm-hmm. think part of that is more women becoming more powerful too. We can lobby for change. We can um we can try and make our worlds more equitable and fair because I don't I think minimum wage should be higher too. But that doesn't mean yeah. that we should hold ourselves back because that money isn't gonna go to that person. Right. And also, you know, we need we need women earning money to inspire other women to want more for their lives as well. Absolutely. So what was the third money block? I don't think we did the third one, did we? The third one is more money, more problems. And this is where Mm -hmm. everyone's got to find their own flavor of that. Okay, because everyone it's it's totally related to your own fear. And that's usually related to your own experiences so you've already mentioned people won't won't like me um I think that's a really common one and it's also particularly painful for anyone who was bullied at school um yeah yeah and that's where you got to go and heal that as much as possible because it will Mm. come up again and again it will show up in the form of trolls it will show up in the form of bullying um because it's still it's just going to prove that if I if I shine, it's not even making money. If I shine, something bad is going to happen and people are not going to like me. Um, and that's huge. I see that in so many people. Even just sometimes people will come into like my Facebook group for my money boot camp and I had someone go, everyone here is so mean and bitchy. And I was like, that's actually not true. This is such a supportive space. But that's a really big sign that you have got some stuff to heal around women and around bullying because you will see it everywhere if you don't if you don't heal that um but everyone's got their own thing so it could be if I make more money I'll have to pay more taxes then I'll get in trouble with the government and then I'll be thrown in debtors prison like that lives within us so strongly especially in Australia right where um our country was founded by criminals and convicts sent from England who have you know, done something wrong. Um, and so yeah. I, I find Australians have this real fear around authority, like we're going to get into trouble. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or it could be that, um, you know, I I can't have both love and money, one's going to give, or I can't have mm. health and money, one's going to give, or I can't, um, I can't be a good mum. That's a big one. If I make more money, that means I'll be a terrible mum. And often you have to dig a little deeper into some of these things and go, actually, you know, if I had more money, I'd probably, you know, I wouldn't have to work as much and I would have more time and energy for my kids. So this more money, more problems thing is so irrational sometimes and so based on old stuff or what stories that you've seen other people experience. Um, 
that might be completely irrational. And so you just have to dig into that, find out what yours are. Some of them can be solved with EFT or therapy. Some of them are just going to always be irrational. Like, so I live right near the beach. I can see the ocean right there. And I, there was some part of me that was like, something bad's going to happen if I have my dream house. And I'm really scared of tsunamis. You know, there's, and there's nothing I can do to, to stop that. Like I, I've looked at um, research, like how often have there been tsunamis on the east coast of Australia? Um, I've got a tsunami plan in my head. But some things that people are worried about, you can go, you know what, like I can park that for the future. Mm-hmm. Like some people tell me, oh, my God, what about when I make a million dollars of taxes on that are going to be insane? And I'm like, just make your first $1,000. Park that. Park that in the future. Yeah. And you can say to your brain, that's such a great you know, thing to think about. Like let's park that for the future. And, um, and something mm. I taught my daughter recently because she was telling me all these fears that she had and instead of going, well, they're stupid, that's irrational, I said to her, you know what, you have got such a great imagination and I love this and this is why I think, you know, you're going to be a great writer one day because you have a great imagination. And so I just taught her to say whenever an irrational fear came up for her and she was worrying about it or couldn't sleep, I said to her, just say to your brain, that would be such a great plot for my next book. <laughs> and then she didn't have to worry about yeah. it anymore. She could just go, God, I'm creative. This is amazing. And so some of mm. those things, the more money, more problems, are just like, that's a future me problem. That's a future me problem. Or that's a great thing yeah. for me to write a blog post about for my community. Well done, brain. <laughs> well done, brain. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. For me, I remember like a really big one for me was I was always spent um I was always spending really fast everything that I earned. So I remember watching my income go up and my expenses would be like the same, like every month. And even though it would go up, I would still be spending. And what I realized when I did the work was I was getting rid of money because it didn't feel safe for me to hold on to it. And when I dug into my why, like where I first experienced this, um, I really got down to a childhood memory of mine, which was witnessing my dad um, being very avoidant around money and actually ended up, you know, the childhood, um, my childhood home that I grew up in he, um, it got taken off him because he wasn't, he wasn't good with money. And so I, because I witnessed that in him, I witnessed like, oh my God, like someone's going to take, take it off you all of a sudden. And so I was just getting rid of it because I was scared that someone else was going to just take it from me if I didn't. And I'm so, so really common one. Really? Okay. Yeah. I I was, yeah, it's super common. Um, so there's, there's a whole lesson we do in boot camp around this, around like your relationship with savings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have got a similar thing to you of like, it's not safe for me to have more than I need. Mm-hmm. And I, there's some really interesting nuances around this. So one is as women, as I said before, we're taught to share. And so there's this guilt when we have more than we need, we feel like we should, we should push it away. Or there's a fear there that if I have more than I need, someone will take it or, and maybe that's, you know, happened to people too, where their, their brother stole their pocket money or, you know, they got in trouble for, for having money at school or something like that. And then there's other layers around this with sometimes with creative people in that they feel like they need that feast or famine in order to create. Ooh, It's like, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. What's that thing we say hungry for success? Mm-hmm. And so I realized I had this one recently too, because I was the same as you. I always spent every mm. single dollar. Like literally the day before I was due to get paid, I'd be like, I've got five dollars. What can I spend five dollars <laughs> on? Um, yeah. Oh, it's the starving artist. Space. The starving artist, that's another one, yes. right? Yes, yes, right. And so I was trying to write my book and I I was trying to I'm always trying to dig into why is it so hard for me to write? You know, why is it so and I went, I'm not hungry enough. I don't want it enough. Mm. I don't need it. Mm. And it was like, holy shit, I still feel like the muse is not going to show up because, oh, I'm too abundant now. She's going to go visit the starving artist instead because they really need it. Interesting. And I don't. 
yeah, I don't deserve it. My life's too comfortable. Um, and so there's something there around, like, again, that sharing thing. Someone else deserves this more than me. I have enough or the starving artist. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'm not going to produce good work. You know, my first book, I, I like, I really wanted it. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, and now I'm just like, well, look at me, my fancy Miss Fancy Pants <laughs> in your fancy big mansion. Why do you need to write another book? And because we've never been taught that you can create for creativity's sake. Like what mm. freaking abundance is that? Like are you allowed to create from a place of abundance? Are you allowed to have a financial cushion and create from that? Or do you have to prove yourself by being this feast or famine mode? Because yeah. and there's something there sometimes in people's personalities where it's like so it's part of their identity and ego that I can pull it out of my ass when I need to. But like you go str- you go so close to the wire to prove that you can and sometimes you're addicted to the to that adrenaline rush of it of like I need the wolves chasing my door to do it yeah and instead of going I can create from comfort mm. I can manifest from a place of comfort and that's what the law of attraction teaches us right you can't manifest from a place of lack but at the start you've got to fake it till you make it so much that you kind of get used to that yeah (laughs) and then it was like oh I don't have to pretend to be rich anymore I am rich (laughs) oh now what um and that's that's totally a lucky bitch privilege problem I get it but I think there's something there in for a lesson for all of us is that it's okay for you to create comfort and ease Mm. you know the whole time I lived in London so I lived in London for 10 years I was so miserable and cold so much so much of the time I never had a proper winter coat. I never had proper winter boots. I never had an electric blanket the whole time I lived in London for 10 years. And I was so cold, but it just, it never occurred to me that I could just go to Argos and probably spend 20 pounds on an electric blanket or, you know, or go, because I never grew up in that space of like, it's okay to have comfort. Like I, I just grew up in, it's like, you have to be scrappy and make do with what you've got and you get what you're given. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's so true. I mean, part of my childhood, I, I remember like doing a lot of car boot sales with my mum, and we would go and just sell all of our crap <laughs> for like 50p or a pound. And we would spend like eight, nine hours just like in the freezing cold selling all this rubbish that we didn't want anymore. And we might make like 20 pounds that day or, you know, wow, like yeah. that was a, that was a great day. But um, I would, you know, another point to add to that is I would probably be wandering around other people's car boots, buying more crap with the money that I'd made. Anyway, I think from <laughs> from that, like, I really thought that, like, you know, like you said earlier, like, earning money was like a slog. It took a lot of work to make a, a little bit of money. And one of the things that you taught me so many years ago was to track my money every day. And that's something that I've kept up over the years. And it's something that I absolutely swear by. It's something that I share with my clients as well. Um, Because I used to think that like, if you, I used to think that like, if someone was like really good with money and they saved everything and they tracked all of their income, all of their expenses, they they, 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 did their budgeting, I would see those people as A, boring, B, controlling, and C, not someone that I ever wanted to be. Not fun, right? I was like, it's way more fun my way, right? I just spend, but I don't look at it. And it's more fun this way. I don't want to be like that. And what I've learned really through doing this money mindset work is that tracking is taking care of, and it's a real act of self-love. And for me, when I set an income goal now, um, I'm also setting a savings goal. And that really... Um, that feels like a real act of self-love to like be able to save yes. alongside what I'm earning. It feels like, oh, I'm really doing something loving for myself. And so instead of money being this thing of like, oh, I don't want to look at it. Oh God, why do I have to deal with money? Oh, if it wasn't for money, money's such a pain in the ass, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I really appreciate all of this money that I get to take care of and love and put in the right places and and save. You know what? There's so many great 
ahas around that for people. So I hear this a lot and you probably do as well when you say to people, you know, what are your goals or what do you want to make? And they just freeze. Mm -hmm. And I think so many of us have been taught that if you want something, you're not allowed to acknowledge it. And if you look at your money too closely, it will go away. And I hear this sometimes in Money Bootcamp where I say, track, track, track. And they go, but as soon as I track Denise, it all goes to shit. And I go, okay, cool. You know what? You have heard so many times in your whole life, every single birthday party that you went to, um, people would say, make a wish, but don't tell anyone or it won't come true. Mm -hmm. And this is so deeply ingrained in one of the universal money blocks I think that we give children is don't acknowledge your desires and particularly don't say them out loud because you will jinx it. It will run away from you and um, and you won't be deserving of it. And so like we say in our, we go, hey, no, we, we do talk about wishes in our family. And I have said that to our kids, every single birthday party they go to, everything, but it's still so deeply ingrained, you know, because they go, oh, mom, no. They said that if you say them out loud, it won't come true because they've seen it in movies, TV, everywhere. And I go, no, no, in our family, we do talk about our dreams. So that's one example that probably you and I share that we've experienced that contributes to this feeling of like, I'm not allowed to look, I'm not allowed to acknowledge, I'm not allowed to desire, and I'm definitely not allowed to talk about it. And if I do, it will all go away. And so the the act of tracking and really looking at your money will bring up so much for people. Mm. Even when you were saying about savings, it's okay for me to have savings. I was thinking of how many of our mothers role modeled well, they weren't allowed to have savings because they didn't have their own savings account. Yeah. They had to have some running away money <laughs> stashed, you know, stashed somewhere, like in their makeup case, in their underwear drawer. My mum kept hosting her sewing, um, her sewing box, and it was like two hundred dollars, between two and five hundred dollars, is the most she would ever have in there. And that was the only example I've ever seen about having savings it wasn't for anything good it wasn't for a financial buffer it wasn't to build future wealth it was literally to run away and probably get one night's of accommodation and and one night's worth of food that was the only thing I'd ever seen role model around enoughness Mm. and excess um and so you think of all the things that we collectively have to unlearn and then your own individual stories to to pick out and look at and examine why it's so hard to do very, very simple things. There's millions of stories around it. Yeah, so many. I think people listening are going to be having so many realizations and and breakthroughs around this. You know, one of the things that you teach in your bootcamp that has always stuck with me is writing down a password, right? Making your password what you want to, um, what you want to manifest. And actually, before we move on to that, I actually have a story to share about in the name of um you know speaking your desires letting them know letting them be known for anyone that's listening that wants to write a book one day i would not have landed my book deal my first book deal with hay house had i not spoken about my desires it just would not have happened right if i'd have just like okay this is my secret desire i'm just gonna i don't want to say it to anyone because i don't want to jinx it instead of doing that i spoke about it all the time i talked about it i posted about it And then one day I was at a dinner event in London with a bunch of random people that I didn't know. And I spoke about it. And then the person that I was sat next to, I said, oh, at the moment, like I'm I'm manifesting a book deal with Hay House and I'm writing my proposal and this is what I want. And I was just super like out there with this is what I want. This is what I'm calling in. And one of the people at the dinner table says, oh, I know someone that works in the press department. Do you want me to make you, do you want me to make an intro for you? And I was like, yes, please. Thank you, universe. And I would not have had that. I would have not got that if I had just kept it to myself. So I'm really big on speaking your desires, talking about your goals. I think it's really important for people to get. I totally agree. And can I just share how I got my book? Yes, Because this is another aspect of it too. At the start where I said about being consistent. So I've sent out a weekly newsletter for like 12 years. And it's not always fun to do that. Like I'm not like most of the time I don't feel like doing stuff like that. But someone from Hay House was on my newsletter list for like two years and then they contacted me and said, hey, I'd love to pitch you to my boss. 
um, and it didn't work out that time. That was probably 2015. And then I went, you know what, I'm going to go away and, and build my numbers and I'll come back to you. In the meantime, she was just like on my newsletter list as well. And so when I went back, I was like, you know, here are my new numbers. Here's what I've done. And so when sometimes people start their business and they go, but no, I've hardly got any subscribers. You go, who cares? Send it out. You never know who's watching. Yes. You never know who's waiting for your newsletter to come out every week. And that consistency can really build some amazing things into your life. Mm, absolutely. Yes. So going back to what I started sharing earlier about the, the password thing, having your what oh, you yes. want to manifest as a password. I've done this like literally since I heard you say it for the first time years ago. And it's it's it works a treat. And um, I wanted to share that my executive assistant, Amelia, um, has told me that she wants me to share this with you because she read Get Rich Lucky Bitch, your book in early 2020 before she joined my team. And she set her laptop password as this money goal for the next 12 months. And then obviously the pandemic hit all of her clients disappeared. She continued to hold this intention. She had this password and then she managed to manifest the role with me, which is a full-time role, which helped her hit that exact money goal that she had as her password. So I think everyone should do that. I, I love that. Way. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. And there's, there's a couple of things around that. So, um, so many people, we use our password to be like, you know, fluffy, <laughs> fluffy dog, 1979, right? And it's just such valuable manifesting real estate in your life because you type it in so many times. And so my current password is um, easy 10 million and it has some other bits and pieces on it. So people won't, won't necessarily guess it, but who cares anyway. But, um, and so every time I type it in, it's, like it challenges me, right? Because it's a stretch goal. And I go, who, who would I be at that 10 million? You know, and so it's sometimes your password, it's about acclimatizing yourself to what that would feel like. But it's also reminding you, keeping you on track of your goal. And it also shows up places where you might need to work on your mindset, you know. And so the other thing that I've realized too, how important it is to um, make sure that you update all of your goals because actually my iTunes password is 2 million and I hit that five years ago. So I, I just haven't updated that, mm -hmm. you know, and so you've got to be consistent and um, like, but yeah, be consistent in your desires around that. And so, you know, I'm typing my iTunes password, 2 million. Cool. I've already hit that million, you know, heaps of times. But my 10 million one, I'm like, oh, 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 that feels interesting. <laughs> um, and so that's why you do it. It's just to, to uncover some stuff mm. that you're used to saying it, even if it's just to your computer. Yeah. And I imagine even people hearing you share those numbers will be triggered um, from hearing that. And so, you know, obviously we're talking about like big, big amounts of money here. And obviously both of us are living very abundantly and we have um, created a lot of abundance in our lives through this mindset work, through doing this work with money, what advice do you have for people that feel like I am so far away from that and they're in scarcity and they're trying to live more abundantly, they're trying to be more abundantly, but they're literally like, you know, paycheck to paycheck, not much in their bank account. Like what advice do you have for people listening? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I was there for many, many years myself. And so one of the hardest things I suppose is to, to live in, it's to live in that contrast. And so it's like, what do you have control over? And you might not have control over your income just yet, but you can control the little things that are around you. And this is what we talk about in Money Bootcamp, the incremental upgrade. Um, it could be that you change your sheets more frequently. You spent like that example I had about the electric blanket mm -hmm. that wouldn't have cost very much money to upgrade but it would have changed my daily experience it would have changed the story that I'm not worthy of being comfortable mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of pleasure I'm not worthy of being warm like literally the base <laughs> level of stuff and so see what is within your control with what you have right now it could be that you use your perfume that you already own that you um, 
use your favorite cup. Recently, what I started doing, and it, I can't believe how much stuff it brought up for me as a multimillionaire, um, I drink out of really big mugs, like massive mugs. And so recently I was like, I'm going to use two tea bags in this mug. And <laughs> it brought up so much like when I was like 15 years ago, I would reuse tea bags over and over again. And then it was a really big deal for me to say, you know what? I'm worthy of a fresh tea bag because it's actually not that much money. I love it's it. not that much money in the grand scheme of things, but how much is a tea bag? And so literally this only happened about two months ago. I said, Oh my god, I'm gonna use two tea bags. My mom and my husband both went look at you, you fancy bitch. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a tea bag. Yeah. Here I am living in a multi-million, you know, lifestyle and I don't even have to, I can't even give myself an extra tea bag. Yes. And so and so my my, my um, husband was calling me two bags. He was like, oh, two bags. And I just thought, how funny is that? But it just shows that so, we're so ingrained in I have to make do. You know, like when you were saying about your family doing the car boot sales, Mm -hmm. again, even as a multimillionaire, I drive around, you know, when people put their um, stuff out on the street that they don't want, Mm -hmm. um, I still like, oh, I could could do something with that because that's what I grew up with. You have to make do with what you've got. And so if you're in that place where you just, you don't even realize the layers upon layers of things that you are putting up with and that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you start unpicking those things one by one and going, you know what, I am going to have a fresh tea bag. You know what, I am going to wear a fresh T-shirt. Those things incrementally don't um, cost you a lot of money, but they're very symbolic. And then you then you do another one and then another one. And then soon you're layering in this new version of you that expects more, that mm. deserves more. And it happens so incrementally that you you trick yourself almost. You acclimatize into it without even realizing. Instead of thinking, well, I'm sitting at the back of the plane. Someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and take me to the front of the plane. It's like, no, you acclimatize yourself to that bit by bit by bit in showing that the universe that I am worthy of more. And those little things, they really add up over time. Um, and then you can feel good where you are and then you have bandwidth to desire more. Mm-hmm. But when you're struggling and every little thing around you is annoying and shit and inconvenience in economy class and reminding you of your poverty or your lack, it's just so much bandwidth. It's like a computer. It's running all these old programs and you just go, I'll just fix them bit by bit. And then you start with the free things. Then you start with the things that are just a little bit of money and then you work your way up. And I I remember when I was doing this too, I was like each upgrade uncovered so much about my money mindset. Yeah. It really did because I was like, no, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not allowed to have this. I remember even um, I wasn't, one of my upgrades was I wanted to go into nicer stores and I remember like Mark and I, when we were first together, we were both, you know, quite young and we were really broke. And I just was looking in a window and he put his hands over my eyes and he pulled me away and he said, don't even look. And I just thought, I'm allowed to look. <laughs> you know, I, it's okay for me to look. And so that was my first upgrade. I'm allowed to look. I'm allowed to desire. And then it was like, I'm allowed to go into the store. Mm. I'm allowed to touch things. I'm allowed to see what I like before I even look at the price tag. Yeah. I'm allowed to try on something. And each time I did that, it cost nothing. So same with manifesting this house which was a whole multi-year long manifestation it started with me looking on realestate.com.au and clicking the toggle from cheapest to most expensive yes allowing myself to look yeah you know and then I allowed myself to go to an open house there might have been 50 people there allowing myself to go there um and that allowing myself to come into this neighborhood and walk around feeling like I belonged. Took years of acclimatization. Mm. You know, driving around going, which house would we like to buy? You know, it it took so long because I wasn't I didn't feel worthy of breathing the air. <laughs> and the air was free. Do you, you know, know? you've and just reminded me of know? something and it's going to sound like just one of the most stupid things. But whenever I've stayed in hotel rooms, I would never allow myself to touch 
the fridge, the mini bar ever because you learn, well, yes. you don't want to add extra, like they'll charge you for that. So it was like that space is banned. <laughs> and so it was a really big moment for me to be able to go to check into a hotel room and be like, oh, I'm going to have whatever the fuck I want from the mini bar. I'm going to have whatever I want from the fridge if I want it. And I'm going to be okay with that. Like sounds such a small thing, but it was such a big deal. I totally, I totally <laughs> get that. You know, like, and again, if you want to acclimatize yourself to more wealth, but you can't afford to stay in a place like that, you can go and like visit, you know, you yes. can go into the lobby and see what, what it brings up for you because yeah. that's the most important thing. I don't belong here. I, you know, they're going to think I'm a fraud. Something that really did change my perception of this is when I was, you know, in, living in London in my early 20s, super broke, a friend of mine who was a dancer, in between contracts, he would go work at Prada because Prada liked to hire young, hot dancers, basically. And he got paid £7 an hour to work in Prada. And I remember thinking how intimidating it would be to go into a store like Prada and feel like they were judging me. But all the people who worked there were just normal hourly paid workers, just like anyone else. And that really shifted my perception because I thought, actually, I'm, I'm allowed to go in. And what I've learned from living here in Newcastle, so it's, um, you know, traditionally a very working class steel, um, steel town, oil town, you know, that coal town, is that you can't tell by looking at someone how wealthy they are because people wear like shorts and flip flops all the time. And I used to think, oh, if, if I wanted people to think I was wealthy, I had to be really fancy. Mm -hmm. And knowing now that like you can go to an auction, which I still love going to house auctions, you know, there's a house that went for a couple of million dollars recently. Like all the people who were there, you didn't, you couldn't tell who was going to, who was going to buy it and who was just a looky loo. And, you know, but we've got these stories in ourselves of, oh, people won't believe me. Mm. Um, or people are going to know I'm a fraud and a fake. And that's part of you have to acclimatizing yourself to it, totally. not necessarily the clothes that you wear or the fake it till you make it. And that starts from allowing yourself to have a fresh tea bag. Yes. Uh, Denise, there's just been so many amazing moments in this episode. I've absolutely loved this. I always ask um, every guest that comes on the show these three questions to wrap it up for love, sex, and magic. So, what is something that you're loving right now something that you're just in love with wow such a great question what am I in love with oh, I am I'm getting back into reading books <laughs> and it sounds so funny but like just getting back into reading books and giving myself permission just to like read non-business books as well. Like nice. reading for pleasure again is yeah. is really fun. Amazing. Yeah. And what is something that turns you on? I love talking about possibility, mm. you know, and I get really excited. I love when people tell me their problems or their fears because the I get so excited about the transmutation of adversity and stories and you know, I I just feel like I've got the best job in the world because people tell me all their dirty money secrets. <laughs> and I just I love it just so much. I'm just like, oh, it's amazing. This is why you do this, this and this. Oh, this is so great. <laughs> um so yeah, I just get turned on by yeah, by the possibility of of um of what we could all collectively do with more money. Mm. It's just really exciting to me. Love it. And when was the last time you experienced magic? Well, as I said, I think this is magic, right? You know, I'm in Australia. You're in Costa Rica right now, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is magic. This is magic. I'm so grateful. Like, every day, I'm so grateful for the tools that we have. You know, I was telling someone um, recently about when I first started my business, and I was like, oh, every webinar that I did, every call that I did for my community would cost me 60 to $80 because I had to phone in to a US-based tele-seminar oh. company and it would cost me $80 to do this call. And I was like, this is magic. Like the tools that we have, um, 
it is magical. Like how else would you describe it? Like I know it's science, but science is magic too. Like this planet we live on is just so magical and this time we live in is still fraught and it's messy and it pisses me off still. There's that last gasp of that masculinity. They're holding on to their political positions and their power and their economic power and they're just the magic. It can't be denied now that, yeah. you know, women – People are rising up and just going, well, I deserve to, to live a beautiful life too. And mm. it's the courage that I've seen people um, show recently in Australia and other countries, other places where we're just like, this isn't good enough anymore. Wow, what a cool time we live in. So cool. Mm, amazing. Yeah. Well, where can everyone come and find you, Denise? We're going to hop into uh, the membership community and answer some more questions for our goddesses in there. But for everyone else, where can they come hang out, take your programs, work with you, get more Denise in their life? I'm super easy to find. So my website is denisedt.com. And if you go to slash blocks, that will give you a free uh, workshop about how to look at seven blocks that I've seen most entrepreneurs do. And then I love hanging out on Instagram. I think that's my favorite way to connect with people personally. So feel free always to send me a DM. I love hearing, as I said, people's de- secret dirty money stories, especially <laughs> if something from this conversation sparked a really mm. you know, particular thing. I love hearing about it. So I'm at Denise DT all across the socials as well. And um, yeah, I love hearing from people. That would make my day. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Denise. Really appreciate you. Thanks, everybody. So beloveds, I hope you got so many takeaways from that episode. If you did, please share it, share it with your friends, share it on your stories, make sure you're subscribed. And as always, if you want extra bonus segments with all of our guests, come and join us inside the Goddess Collective membership, where we dive even deeper with all of the amazing people that we have on this show. Until next time, have a beautiful week.